Welcome to this week's Small Skies Podcast. This podcast is designed for small government contractors, service providers, and manufacturers as part of the government contractor ecosystem, connecting people, organizations, and resources. I'm your host, Just Nate, and this week uh, with us, we've got uh, Dennis Cater, our CEO. Welcome, Dennis. Thanks, Nate. And we have another special guest again. Mr. Chris England is going to join us for a, a one or two question answer thing. Welcome, Chris. Thanks, Nate. Good to be here. I, w- I was hoping that he would have a British accent. <laughs> that would be cool. Chris England. Uh, hello. I think that was Australian you just said. Oh, yeah, whatever. <laughs> English is more like, hello, me your best mate. <laughs> so maybe maybe somebody in England, as they listen to our podcast, can well, call in too. from our website and leave us a recording. Uh, that would be kind of cool so we know what an English accent actually sounds like. But... Uh, so let's let's get to our primary reason for being here today, and uh, that reason is on the phone. We've got the CEO and founder of Spectrobotics, Mr. Tim Haney. Welcome, Tim. Great to be here. I've been listening to you guys for a while now, and been in the queue to get on your po- program. And so it's uh, super exciting to be here. And thanks for for moving me up the list to get me in. Appreciate it. Hey, we enjoy it, and thank you for. Uh, for stepping up and saying, hey, I'll, I'll go on with these idiots and talk to them because uh, we've been called worse by others. So, you know, it is what it is. Uh, but we, we do thoroughly enjoy you uh, coming on and giving us a little bit of your time the, on the late afternoon Friday of what it is here. And uh, we uh, wanted to talk to you about Spectrobotics. So in a, a quick one or two minute overview, let us know. Let's start out first. What, what does Spectrobotics do? Are you a government contractor? And, you know, tell us just a little bit about yourselves. Oh, happy to do that, Nate. So Spectrobotics was founded in 2015 here in Colorado Springs, and we are a data aggregation analytics and visualization company. So that's like the nerdy, boring description of it. What we really do is we take lots of different data within the space realm, uh, within the UAV industry, uh, within smart city applications. We aggregate that so that we can look at it all together, and then we use a number of like deep learning tools to derive some, some, some hidden meaning in it, try to get after answering some really hard problems that we couldn't do before because everything was, you know, all our data sets were stovepiped and locked away, and we, we really couldn't see across them. So now we take those tools and we say, "Oh, we got uh, we we can tell cities, you know, how to you know how to better plan their water use. We can tell farmers how to, you know, irrigate their crops. When's the right time? So it's it's exciting and it's new and it's emerging and we love it. 
well, I, you kept it within that two-minute realm. I like it. Um, so, you know, I, I, I went out and did a little research on your guys' website there. Um, and I think one of the first things that stood out to me is, uh, I'm guessing as a tagline, you aggregate, analyze, and visualize, right? That's exactly right. You know, and it's, you know, there, there are lots of companies out there that do each of those extremely well. Um, but we started realizing, you know, because there's been a lot of innovation in data science tools now and a lot of cloud computing resources that you can bring in to speed up processing and do it more cost effectively. There's, there are a lot of new uses for old, dry, dusty data that people collect or it's been hitting the floor or, you know, it just, it, it just didn't fit well, didn't work well together. And so now we say, hey, we can do something with that. We can, we can help people, like I said, derive new meaning from it or new revenue sources or streamline operations so that they, you know, run more cost effectively. So do you guys, sounds, go, go ahead, Dennis. I guess, go ahead. No, that was Tim. Go ahead, oh, Tim. Sorry, Tim. <laughs> go ahead, Tim. <laughs> no, I was going to say, it sounds kind of nerdy and dry and dusty, uh, but it's really just a cover so that we can go out and fly drones and, and take pictures and, uh, <laughs> you know, and work with some really great people in industry try and figure out how do we, how do we do it better? You know, how do we, how do we find more information in there than within it's than it's typical. And, uh, and I, I can't wait to talk about how we do that. That's super exciting. And it's super groundbreaking both for government and also for the commercial world as well. I know this might come as a surprise to Dennis, but I, I enjoy flying drones. I own a couple now. So, um, I, I agree with you. It's, yeah, you and, you enjoy it until you've watched one you built with your two hands <laughs> augur in. Oh. And then all of a sudden, not, you know, not, it's like you'd rather see your rather see your car get your, your kid get in a car crash than uh, watch one of your drones fall out of the sky. It's it's more about just your two hands that built it. It's probably about the green stuff that came out of your wallet to build it. Also, man, that is that is not a joke. But and then but, you look um, and you're like, oh, did I? I hope I didn't hit a car or a house because I don't know if the insurance is going to cover all that. Oh, we've had flyaways that go that went straight into the water before. <laughs> water. That was an exciting day. We, yeah, we had to walk out there and uh, and fish it out while it was still running. Oh. Uh, that was that was a uh, high adventure that day. And so now that particular drone is out doing bathymetry uh, instead of doing precision ag studies. <laughs> do you guys uh, do you guys have any blooper reels? That would be kind of good. You start generate that on the side. Yeah, but it, it, I, again, it's too painful to watch. My my heart <laughs> and my adrenaline is up right now at a higher level than normal. Just thinking about all that's gone into that, you know, and, and we've definitely learned the hard way, but, but along the way you, you learn things that your average say drone pilot or, or sensor operator doesn't learn because they don't get that, you know, that real world experience uh, when things go wrong and, and then how to mitigate that. So, well, it's, you know, it's, it's like everything else. It's an education. And, and that was going to be my question, actually, my, my, my very first question to you when you were talking about big data and data, data aggregation and stuff like that, um, I wanted to know whether or not you guys also dabble in collecting the data, not just aggregate the data, but you're also part of the collection. And that's what you just kind of answered for me. So, Well, you have to. And and that's kind of a sad story, but it also has uh, some potential because here's what we learned over the years. And this applies to smart cities, smart agriculture, just about every industry out there. It takes three entities to come together and work as a single unit in order to go from, you know, from raw data to an actual solution or, you know, be able to address the problem that you're getting paid to. And, and those three entities are, number one, the data collector. 
right? Whether it's a drone, whether it's a ground sensor, whether it's a satellite, an aircraft, it doesn't matter. Something is collecting that data and that's all they do all day long. That's their focus and that's, uh, you know, that's their reason for being and they're really good at it. And in our case, you know, the drone operator with the camera or the sensor is primarily the data collector. And then the next link in the chain, as it were, is us. We're the data services because if data collector gives raw data to the problem owner, the problem owners now has a new problem on their hands to solve, which is how do we make sense of this? Yeah. So people like us step in, take that raw data, aggregate it, use it, analyze it, turn it into something meaningful, and then hand it to the problem owner. And now it's in a format. Now it's in a, you know, in a in a SaaS platform that allows them to look at it and make sense of it. Otherwise, you take out one of those links and the system falls apart. So, you know, that's, like I said, it works in smart city and smart ag. And it's, we're about to show how that works in, uh, in space as well. Nice. Dennis, you were, uh, I think I heard you this time. You were trying to pipe, pipe in there. Um, I wanted to define a term, but Chris defined it for me. <laughs> yeah, he was stumbling on, on, uh, on bathymetry. Bathymetry. I was like, does he have a lisp? <laughs> I'm like, what is bathymetry? And so Chris was, Chris was telling me what it was, since he's a former Navy guy. Oh, so I, I learned that term when uh, when I was in the space world. I was a an Army space officer for about half of my career, and every once in a while, you'd put a satellite in the drink, and so you know we'd be looking forward to this thing on orbit for years, and then all of a sudden, find out uh, it didn't, it, it failed to achieve orbit. It's now doing bathymetry. In the South Pacific, I shouldn't. So I shouldn't have used that uh, ancient, cheap Russian rocket to launch my bird with, right? But it's all we had. <laughs> <laughs> There's actually, and it was cost effective. You know, there there is actually uh, that's that isn't actually no joke. There is a a company out there that is launching from uh, satellites and payloads from the middle of the Gulf of Mexico on a barge uh, on rockets that they acquired from Russia. So. Um, and I think the, the, the launch rate is like 50%. So hopefully they have insurance or their payload's not a $2 billion satellite. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, um, that, that has really revolutionized, you know, the whole SpaceX and Blue Origin and those guys has revolutionized data collection because now it's, you know, you could put something up for half the cost and, uh, and then reuse your, your, your sources again. So that's exciting. And, you know, it's, it's one of those areas of innovation that just we needed it. It came at the right time, obviously. Now the next innovation, and I hope some of the listeners now out there have got a beat on this, but we need better batteries. I don't know who's, who's pushing battery technology out there, but the sooner we get better batteries, then the better data collection we can do, you know, here in the terrestrial world I'll with, give you with drones and, uh, yeah, lots of different unmanned his, systems. His name, without saying his full name, it's E... Musk. Oh, no, no. I'm sorry. Elon M. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Let's, let's hope we all live long enough that we can have that. Um, but, you know, but that's, that's one of those areas, you know, that, that um, you know, sort of tempers uh, where we go with the technology and where we go with the analytics and, and why, you know, a lot of the stars people have in their eyes when new technology comes on the scene, um, you know, and realize why haven't, why aren't we there yet? Why have, why, why aren't my Christmas packages being delivered by drone? You know, we were promised this five years ago and everybody was all excited. I and was ex- come to find out. Yeah, I was excited about that. However, as a, I am not a part 107 licensed drone operator cause I don't do it commercially. So I'm just a guy in my backyard. 
However, after doing research now, I don't want drones to deliver my product um, for the simple fact that I think it's going to take and, and make me not be able to do my hobby any longer. Right. I think these big companies are trying to push out the hobbyist. And I don't think unless people start standing up against that, uh, you're going to start seeing uh, the hobbyist. You're not going to be allowed to fly or they're going to say, oh, you can go to this park. It's a, you know, 200 square foot by 200 square foot hole that you can fly your drone. That's it. No, that's exactly right. And uh, and hopefully, you know, if we ever get there, you know, the, the utility that's coming out of the drones is worth sort of interrupting people's hobbies and uh you know it, it's it makes it all worth it but let me just take a moment to say we are not a drone company we, we love talking about that and it's, it's great technology and it's got tremendous potential but we learned early in the beginning because we wanted we thought we were going to be a drone company but we learned that you know yeah you can take pictures and you can do some very fancy and analysis of crops and look at health and look for weeds and things like that but that really didn't scratch the itch of the farmer. They really didn't scratch the itch for smart city that was looking for emerald ash borer. They, they needed a lot more than just a picture. And that's, you know, kind of, we, we pivoted slightly to say, okay, in order to tell a better story and give people more context and make this product worth, you know, worth the money and worth all the expense and effort is to, uh, is to aggregate it with other data. So in precision ag, for example, you know, you can get a picture from a drone, but you can also get lots of atmospheric and environmental data from ground sensors or from weather data or from, you know, just walking the fields and, and getting moisture sensors from the, from the soil. So when you start to layer all that in, now that you've got it aggregated, now you start layering it and start, you know, putting it in front of the problem owner, which is the farmer or the agronomist in this case. Um, now they start to connect the dots, you know, which is the whole intent of the, that analysis piece is to make it easy to understand what's going on, these extremely complex and dynamic systems. So, you know, whether it's, you know, Precision Ag is a great use case application for that. But there's also, like I said, Smart City, uh, we were involved in some urban forestry projects looking for emerald ash borer, which is exactly the same techniques we were using looking for pests and, and uh, you know, underperforming crops in the field. It's all the same technology and the same tools and the same SaaS platform that's displaying all this. So it's extremely versatile. I, hold on. You know, lots of different... I'm going to interrupt you real quick. What was that? What was that term you just used? Which one? Uh, not not sass before that. And I apologize. Uh, I emerald, the emerald. Yeah, uh, emerald. Oh, the emerald ash borer. Yeah. So emerald ash borer, you know, is you go up to Boulder and you'll see signs up all over the place that say you cannot, you know, remove this tree out of Boulder County because the emerald ash borer, which is this very small. You know, it starts off as a worm, you know, as you can imagine, and then it gets inside the uh, in, inside ash trees and, and makes its home, eats the, the pulp, and then it uh, kills the tree. You know, the tree, is as part of its natural defense, you know, starts to wither and die, and it doesn't, with, you know, can't withstand it. And, they, and then those, the emerald ash work and travel on the wind, you know, as, as tightly packed as a lot of these tree stands are, it can move fairly quickly. So the city of Denver says, hey, we need some advanced warning when we start to see emerald ash borer coming in. So we need, you know, um, you know, drones to go up and start doing uh, analysis of our emerald, you know, or our urban forestry and find the trees that are susceptible and find the trees that have been impacted and then start to track those. So great use case application of the tech, you know, and like I said, it, it started in precision ag, but then quickly migrated into other 
um, areas as well. And so, you know, now we're watching this industry grow. And, you know, if you've ever tried to image an entire city with a drone, <laughs> you quickly find you cannot do it one person. You need an army of people out there doing it. Well, that, and I think you also need lots of batteries. Um, that's like you said, you're getting 20 to 30 minutes max nowadays out of a battery. Um, unless you start doing fixed wings and you might get a little bit more than, I guess. Oh, you know, we tried to get a fixed wing out there and, uh, the guys that were going to do it, um, said that they had a convertible. And so they would follow the fixed wing when it would go on these long legs in the car. That's how they were maintaining line of sight on it as cause you know, it's, it, it could stay up for so long and it could fly out so far. Uh, they had a very effective technique of being able to keep up with it in an urban environment. Hey, yep. Tim, um, just, a, just a quick follow-on. So are you partnering with data collection as a service type companies uh, to, use, to use their equipment while you're out there uh, to pull the data? Or are you using predominantly inherent capabilities? How does that work? Now, that's exactly what we do. We, we, we contract out that data collection piece because like you, Nate, I'm not a 107 guy. And that's on, we did that on purpose so that we wouldn't go down that rabbit hole. We, we just stick to what you're good at and, and we're good at the analysis of the data. So we contract out the collection piece of it and, you know, let them focus on it. And we've done it with aircraft and we've done it with drones and satellites, of course, um, for the, for the work we've been doing. And then, you know, then once it comes in, that's when our tools go to work and start to do, um, you know, interpretation and analysis on it. So your so your specialty is really in the data is really in the data aggregation and visualization. Right, right, and and we've seen people try to do that. You know, we've seen drone companies try to do their own collection and then build their own customer base and hand off products, and it it just it's hard, and nobody walks away satisfied and happy, you know, because it's just, you know, raw data and, and, you know, sort of scientific interpretation of the data is, you know, it takes some expertise. It takes some experience with it. And, uh, and, you know, we, that's, that's our niche is being able to take that raw information and make it usable, make it action oriented and make it, you know, decision quality. So, um, Tim, you and I've known each other for a little while now, and I've got to, I actually got to go out with, uh, his team and do some surveys, which was exciting, and then see them as they're collecting the data, and then they went back and did some of the analytics, and I've seen some of the work you've done. How did, how did you get into this field? And you talked to, briefly about it, how you were an Army space guy, but can you talk about your past and then what led you to you know, wanting to start your own company and doing this for a living? What was your path? So uh, I transitioned out of the Army back in 2011 and was hired on as a contractor, like many of us do, and was working out at Air Force 10 Cap. And the company I was working with were dear friends of mine that I went to war together with. And they just had some really innovative ideas on how to aggregate, analyze, and visualize data. And it was, uh, it was blowing my mind. I, I could not believe that we could we could perform analytics as fast as we were doing and as, um, as comprehensively as we were doing because, uh, you know, everything is stovepiped, you know, in a lot of government systems that it, it's hard to sort of see across the data sets to find useful information. And they had a technique for doing that. So that job lasted a couple of years. And then as jobs do, they go away. And I was left just hungry for more. I, I simply couldn't get enough of, of the potential when you're not constrained by data size and format and delivery method and, you know, all those things that sort of keep it in the stovepipe. 
So after realizing that there aren't a lot of companies out there and, and there's a lot of great applications here in Colorado, both with our DOD presence and then also with, uh, you know, there's a, there's a large commercial industry here, obviously, with, with farming and, um, and even city government type work, uh, decided, okay, let's take that same solution and then let's go build a, a platform that can, you know, satisfy some of these smart city and smart ag requirements. And that was about that time, you know, about 2015, when, you know, drone technology really started becoming affordable and reliable. And it just really, you know, captured our imagination on what what happens when you could take drone data and do something amazing with it. And that's how the company got started. And and it's like I was alluding to it earlier, you know, (laughs) rarely do your initial ideas survive, you know, when you when you start to put it in front of people and see what the what the response is. And the response was always, give me more. I want more of this, you know, and, and not that I want more of your service, but I, I need more data to make the types of decisions that I think, you know, are, are possible here. So it's, it's been a passion, obviously, to, uh, to stay focused on this. And we, we've been through a number of accelerators and been through some, um, you know, some great experiences, kind of getting our feet underneath of us and getting our early traction in our beachhead markets and, um, it's, you know, it's been exciting. And then all of a sudden, uh, we got recommended to apply for a space accelerator here in Colorado Springs because some of the tools that we had developed really had, you know, they, they still, we believed, have some use in the DOD, particularly in the space world when you're dealing with satellites and, and orbital mechanics and trying to figure out, you know, communication systems and why links go out. A lot of the tools are interchangeable. You just have to apply it to different types of data. And then you realize that, you know, you can start to do things that haven't been done in the past because of these advancements that, that we were pushing for on the commercial side. Very cool. So we are about uh, 22 minutes into this podcast. So we're going to take a break real quick uh, so we can hear a uh, little snippet from our sponsor. So stay with us. We'll be right back. Puebloplex is located east of the Pueblo Airport Industrial Park. As a designated state authority, Puebloplex is responsible for implementing the reuse of the Pueblo Chemical Depot's 3 million square feet of buildings and over 23,000 acres of land. Implementations of the redevelopment plan include seeking companies to continue to generate economic development within southeastern Colorado. Puebloplex currently has tenants conducting manufacturing, warehousing, and distribution operations, and rail car storage and maintenance, in addition to serving numerous business and personal storage tenants. For a detailed look and updated information, visit PuebloPlex.com. Welcome back to this week's Small Scast Podcast. This week, we actually have uh, Mr. Tim Haney, the founder and CEO of Spectrobotics online with us. Welcome back, Tim. Still great to be here, Nate. <laughs> and then, uh, of course, we've got our CEO, Mr. Dennis Cater, and our special guest, Mr. Chris England, also uh, attending. Welcome back, guys. Thanks. Thanks. Did you hear the crowd in the background? Yes. I hey, thought it was a um, what? I thought it was a dog. <laughs> Maybe oh. it was a dog. So, by hey. the way, hold on before you before you break in. I need to let the audience know that you. you before you ask, or as you're asking your last question before we went to break there, uh, you had mentioned that, oh, yeah, I got to go and see these guys in the field and, and check them out. And, and yeah. I just want the audience to know that I didn't get an invite to that. Um, I don't <laughs> think you wanted me there with you or something. I don't know. Um, 
Well, I didn't get to go either. Well, Tim, it sounds like we have another field trip coming up. We do. We do. Any excuse. Although I recommend this time that we go out and uh, and image some ski slopes out in Colorado. <laughs> and, and as long as we're there, you know, might as well pack our sticks with us. No, no complaints. <laughs> I'm down here. with that. Down with that. Hey, I did want to ask you, you know, um, we talked a lot about uh, imagery data, um, you and I have talked about multi-spectral, hyperspectral data. Are there other types of data? Like if I'm just a, I don't know, a company and I've got accounting data, do you do, do you do stuff like that too? Or, or is your forte specifically um, imagery and or that type of related data? Right. Great question. You know, as a data company, we, we strive to be data agnostic and, and, and you bring up a really good, um, point I want to make is that most of the time, most of the data we deal with falls into one of two categories. Either it's GIS data, right, geospatial information that's like a raster, you know, like a map or an image or something like that that has a has a location on the Earth. And then the other data is um, sort of like a point sensor, right? It's measuring air quality. It's measuring, uh, you know, water flow, things like that. Almost Everything, though, has a GIS component to it. It's got a location. So, you know, our big idea in the, in the startup world was what happens when we bring together geospatial, a, a platform for displaying all this geospatial information with the ability to integrate the Internet of Things, right? So Internet of Things is all about deploying sensors and having the sensors talk in, in real time, pushing information or doing analysis or describing the environment but they still have a wear component to it that a lot of times gets overlooked. So, you know, that's in addition to the, the, you know, the great drone work we're doing, part of that reason for being agnostic and aggregators is so that we can pull together those two sort of sub-disciplines for data, you know, the IoT and the GIS. And, uh, and so far we haven't seen that, you know, playing out too much um, because it's hard. And, um, you know, there are a lot of big industry out there that are really good in each of those fields but very few players that have brought it together into one, you know, one system. So Tim, tell me, tell us a little bit about, you know, the different types of work you do. I know you've done some stuff for uh, water and irrigation or something like that. Water use you've done, as you mentioned, smart ag. Um, what are, what are some of the other applications or, or areas that you've done? So uh, we just finished up a contract with one of the cities here in Colorado to do water demand analysis. So you can imagine if you're a city municipal water, um, you know, utility, you have, you know, tens or hundreds of thousands of customers out there. And every day, you know, water demand fluctuates based on, you know, for, for commercial and residential. And it fluctuates based on when did it rain last? Um, you know, is it what, what time of the year is it? You know, am I irrigating my lawn and such? So the, the better they can optimize or prepare for that demand, because here in Colorado, you know, every drop is counted. Um, you know, they have to prepare for the next day's or the next week's demand. Counted and, and the charged. Insight, and charged, absolutely. <laughs> we pay for it. I've had $300 a month water bills before, so just FYI. Right, right. You know, so, uh, so, so the better we can do, you know, to keep their costs low, by, you know, preventing them from moving so much water around in, in anticipation of that demand and making sure they can meet it, 
um, you know, that's, that's money saved. And so, you know, our, our analytics were looking at, you know, years worth of historical data to sort of build a model that, that tells us, Hey, when these trends are occurring, these up and down trends, or this, you know, the, the weather is changing or the weather, you know, it rained three days ago. How does that impact water demand four days from now? Um, you know, we're able to take all of that and compile it and then pull it together and then make predictions uh, using some deep learning algorithms that are very precise. You know, these a lot of these tools were built uh, for stock trading and cryptocurrency uh, valuations. And so now we're just repurposing them for, uh, you know, for, like I said, municipal water demand. Uh, so and that's then, a, you know, that's... Well, Then you actually, you guys take it another step, which is you provide the visualization because I've seen some of that too. Um, And I think that really is the golden nugget, right? So you've got this data. um, People don't necessarily know what to do with it or they want to look at something. And it's not really, it's about the data, but really it comes down to, um, you know, you then being able to provide the insight on that data and visually see it. That's exactly right. You know, you can you can razzle dazzle people all day with spreadsheets and watch their eyes roll back in their heads, but when you can put you know a dashboard in front of them with all the right charts and graphs and gauges and context, right, so that it's easily intuitive, um, you know that sells it. That's the sizzle, and that's the thing that um, you know when we when we talked earlier about you know the, why do we need these data services? You know why doesn't the data collector just give it to the problem owner? Well, the problem owner you know, likes to see something that's been finalized. They like to, you know, they want to know the story and, uh, and dashboarding and image maps, you know, they are great techniques to telling a story that convey very complex operations in very simple and easy to use, um, you know, displays. And, you know, that there's an art to that. There's a, there's an art and a science to data that, you know, lots of people are good in one or the other, but, uh, but, you know, the really good companies have found a way to sort of merge the two concepts together because, you know, we're, we're just past working with spreadsheets and clipboards and things like that. Now we're in, in the world of, you know, hey, I, I, need, I need artificial intelligence to tell me what's going to happen versus, me, versus telling me what just happened. That, you know that leads into a, that leads into a great question, uh, Tim. Uh, is how much are you kind of breaking down barriers in places where they've they've used um, that have been classically people intensive, survey heavy? You know, the Division of Wildlife sends you know rangers out to you know to to survey you know herd sizes of you know pick your favorite you know you know pick your favorite animal or you know, um, you know, the forestry service, you know, the forestry service in, you know, in, you know, with trees and stuff, but I mean, how, so how much are you kind of, you know, breaking down those barriers of things that were classically people intensive, uh, surveys? Yeah. You know, that's a, that's, that's a great question. And I'll tell you why it, it, there was a, a big light bulb moment for me came when I realized that even though we're, you know, we're a tech company and, and we're pushing innovation and, you know, going in a, in, a, in a new direction on things as a company, we are still uh, saddled with all of the challenges that every company, whether you're a paper company or, you know, you're an internet company or you're a pavement company, everybody goes through certain growth stages and certain challenges that they have to learn to overcome. And, you know, for us, you know, in, in being a, a tech innovative company, 
um, you know, your, your saving grace is finding those early adopters out there. You know, those people that just get it. They, they, they like innovation. They like doing things new. They see the benefits in it. Um, but those pe- people are few and far between. And, and typically in the, in the government space, you know, government is very slow to progress. And for lots of great reasons, you know, this, they're, they're like that. And, um, you know, it, it really takes a champion. It really takes, you know, somebody who can understand what your technology brings and then help you usher that in. And we're always looking for those people out there that, you know, that they, they just naturally are, 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 you know, they like bringing new techniques and new technology to solve a problem. And, uh, and you know, we, we love to connect with them. And that's one of the reasons we're here on the podcast, because I know a lot of those people listen and, uh, you know, and are looking for innovative companies out there. And we're excited to sit down and talk. And let's figure out, you know, help me understand the problem so that we can real figure out, you know, what's the right tool or, you know, do we have to build something new to address this? Um, but, you know, a lot of times it takes a lot of ushering, a lot of handholding and a lot of introductions, you know, to get you to the right people that are, you know, receptive to it. So I was wondering, as you were sitting here talking, I'm sitting here listening and uh, thinking about back in um, my early years, um, as starting out as a, as a young engineer, one of the problems that, you know, we had on space-based systems is we, we would collect all this data and a, a ton of data, like I would say a hundred times more than we ever used. But now that I think about it, the, the collection is the capability has always been there to collect that data. But what you guys really bring is the analytics and being able to bring in multiple sources of those, of that data to make sense of all that data and not just have that data go to waste, right? Right, right. There is no such thing as data we can't use, you know, and that's the, that's the beauty of, uh, of deep learning, you know, and, and I'll just throw that out um, just to illustrate that, you know, you don't necessarily need a PhD in orbital mechanics to understand how and why things would move in orbit and not to go do too deep into it, but, but just, uh, just imagine you start with the answer and then you work your way backwards to understand how you could arrive at that real world answer. You know, so, so you're outside the, the training and simulation and now you're into, you know, this deep learning aspect that understands data in ways that, you know, humans would never make those associations and make those connections. And it's just, it's lightning fast and it's extremely accurate. And that's one of the, one of the amazing things about space is it's extremely predictive. You know, things just don't move on their own all that much. And the environment is extremely toxic to anything mechanical. Um, And we record all this information. And so now just imagine what happens when we can take all this health and status telemetry and start to understand how it relates to solar winds or, you know, uh, space weather events or, you know, other uh, atmospheric events that come from the earth that, that cause things to slow down. So, you know, we, we don't need a team of scientists anymore that are trained in, in space environment. You know, data scientists can get in there with a, a number of different tool sets and start to start to experiment, Makes start sense. to see where those connections lie. And, and so that, I think that's key is making those connections. Right. And, and and having computers to help make those connections. Right. And, and you know, the other thing we haven't really talked about too much, we talk about the tools and the technology. The third key in this equation is the talent. And I cannot stress enough to, uh, to anybody who will listen that the talent to build this is 
working right now in their basements. They are working on, you know, ad placements for other websites. They are, they are doing things that have nothing to do with space or DOD, but they understand, um, you know, software development and they understand data science in ways that uh, just we, we haven't seen before. And we really haven't put it to work or put it to the test yet. So, you know, finding this talent is, you know, who, whoever gets them first, they're going to ones that they're the ones that are going to emerge. And we've had a tremendous amount of success, you know, meeting people at meetups, for example, you know, people, uh, you know, software developers tend to tend to cluster together, you know, both for support. And then also, you know, it's, that's, that's their tribe and, uh, and being able to work within this, these groups and, and find this talent, I think is makes is a, is a make or break scenario for any company out there. I agree. So, Tim, I'm I'm looking through your website right now, and um, how about you give the let's let's have you give the listeners what your website address is real quick. So the website is www.spectrobotics. S p e c t r a b o t i c s. dot com. Okay, and and, uh, and you know, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I was going to say we've we've uh, you know we've got obviously some links on there to some of the work we've done. And we, you know, we, we, you know, would love to talk to anybody who's got this problem or has an idea or, you know, sees an application that we haven't thought of yet. Exactly. And that's, that's what I was going to bring up next. I I see you, you obviously have three main industries that you're, you're currently uh, focused on or, or, doing business with and that's smart agriculture, smart space, smart city. We've talked a little bit about each one of those. Um, but what I found interesting is you actually have a, a pricing structure and I'd like you to kind of explain that to us. I didn't expect to see a pricing structure on your site. I kind of, um, as of, as I was listening to you, I was thinking that you would be more of kind of like a teammate on a project or you'd go after a, a government contract or some type of contract where you would bid on it. Um, I, I guess I did not expect to see a basic pro and spectral uh, lytics. Um, can you explain right, so, what that is? So the, the the pricing structure, you know, we have a SaaS model, and the the uh, our SaaS model, like I said, integrates GIS and IoT. So if you're a company out there that has, um, you know, a requirement that, you know, hey, we've got all this data and we want to be able to visualize it and and make it action oriented and and decision quality, uh, our platform can handle it. You know, we can aggregate it and analyze it and visualize it. Uh, things get, you know, so there's a basic fee for that, you know, both for uh, just getting access to the platform and, and seeing your data. And then as we get more technical on the analytics side of it, because a lot of this does require some some development. Okay, um, that's, that's know, what that's, I expected, right? Everybody's yeah. data is yep. going to be unique, or the data might not be so unique, but how they want it presented might be might be more unique right and every one of those is case by case because where the data comes from uh sometimes is challenging and how much data you know is being provided and where that data is stored you know a lot, a lot of that comes down to uh some individual discussions on what's the right most economical way to do that you know and like i said you know now having access to cloud services with microsoft and amazon you know a lot of the uh, a lot of the storage problems go away and a lot of the uh, the ability to move that data from one, you know, data schema to the next goes away. You know, so it's you know it's quite a break from the traditional, you know, hey, we've got an Oracle database, or we, you know, we have to run our own server farm. Uh, you know, that doesn't that doesn't happen anymore. So, 
um, you know, we're definitely leveraging a lot of this new virtual technology uh, to keep costs low and to, you know, really focus a lot of the development effort on building the new analysis techniques versus all the hardware and infrastructure uh, just to keep the lights on. So you did bring up the fact that nobody really does, or I mean, it's slowly going away is on-prem stuff. Um, it seems like everybody's using the cloud, whether that be AWS or uh, Microsoft's cloud or whatever it may be. Um, do you guys have, uh, obviously you guys have that capability um, to pull data from wherever your customer ha- has it housed, right? Correct. And, and there's lots of ways to pull it, obviously, and there's lots of ways to store it. And, you know, some, and some people do want it on-prem. And a lot of the smart city work we've done, you know, is on government systems. And they're very particular about Obviously. what comes and goes in there. Yes, which, uh, and with good reason. So, which actually brings, so me in, brings me into my next question, though: Are, are you guys, um, are you guys GCC high or anything like that? Can you guys handle um, secret level data and aggregate that data for the government, or are you guys working towards that? Or thoughts on that? You know, uh, the short answer is no, we're not. Um, but the, the the longer, more interesting answer to that is the government, especially the DOD, and it's especially the Air Force, they, they are really leading the charge on this, has realized that, you know, that, that talent that I mentioned earlier that's out floating around working on other projects, um, they need that talent, you know, but you've got to incentivize it and you've got to make it easy. You got to lower the barriers to entry to bring those guys uh, to start taking a look at some of these Air Force problems. So the Air Force has been very clever and come up with their own sort of development environment for that. So if you're a small company like us and you've got a great tool or a great technique, then, uh, you know, you can approach the Air Force and say, hey, I've, I've got this I've got this service. I've got this ability to analyze something. If it's interesting to you, then let me build it on your test platform. And then, you know, if they like it and it gets funded, then it'll get hardened and then, you know, put on other Air Force networks. But They've, they've realized that they can't just bring people behind the green door and say, okay, now build. This is sort of more of a try before you buy. This is more of a, hey, let's move fast and break things, you know, in this unclassed environment before we push it up and let it work with more serious data. So there's, there's definitely tools that, you know, we can leverage that don't require us to have all the clearances or all the network certifications. Okay. Dennis, Chris, what kind of questions do you guys have? Well, I, I, I don't have any more follow-on right now. Um, you know, we are, have been collaborating with uh, Spectrobotics now for a while, trying to uh, find opportunities. And I'd ask uh, other small government contractors out there and or the large companies, you know, as you start to identify problems where you have data analytics or integration um, or analysis you'd like to do, um, to consider Spectrobotics, uh, it's been great working with uh, Tim and his co- uh, cohort, Lauren Anderson. Um, I think there's a lot of opportunity there, and there's a lot of uh, application. So, again, just a terrific uh, asset out there here in Colorado Springs and Colorado, and I highly encourage you to reach out to Tim and the crew. Dennis, I appreciate that. You guys are a thrill to work with, and and I'll be honest. You know, when I when I left my contractor job, I didn't want to go back into the DoD space. I, I wanted to go seek our fortunes and be on the bleeding edge of new technology, and let's let's make it work there. 
And, uh, and then we realized that, you know, you, you still, you know, if you're like me, you're still a patriot and you, you still like to see, you know, good things happen and you, you still love your country and you want to serve and give back. And, uh, and, and we're super excited that the government has figured out how to tap into that, how to bring people like me back in. So, you know, we bring with us, you know, all this experience we've had building these cutting edge services and tools. And so super excited to turn that back into, uh, you know, the DOD space and say, okay, now how can we, uh, how can we apply our smart city technology to understanding, you know, the space environment or being predictive on satellite maneuvers or, you know, just trying to understand the terrain and the environment, you know, much, much more better and much more accurately than we have in the past. I mean, all that's within the realm of possible right right now today. So I'm going to give you a chance, Tim, real quick, because you kind of brought that up. Um, for those of those, for those people that are listening out there, um, what type of socioeconomic status do does Spectrobotics hold? I'm assuming at least VOSB, veteran-owned small business. Uh, yeah. Right, right, right. So uh, veteran-owned small business, um, and, and we've we've done a couple of SBIRs. Uh, for the government, one for the U.S. Air Force, and then another one uh, we were a sub for the U.S. Department of Agriculture. <laughs> Same tools, um, and, and it's quite exciting because you know the U.S. Department of Agriculture is concerned about you know food production, and so the analytic techniques we were using or were using on uh, on hyperspectral data. For the USDA is the same tools roughly that we'll be using for the Air Force, uh, looking for hazardous materials on the ground from their drone systems. You know, so a lot of this stuff is interchangeable and has you know other applications, even though the underlying technology is 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 very similar. So veteran-owned small business, you know, primarily focused in the in the commercial space, but you know, being incentivized and enticed um, through you know through programs like AFWorks and such to uh, to take a look at some DOD challenges. So have, did you say you were part of an accelerator already? Right. So we went through the Innisphere, which is a uh, technology uh, innovation center up in, in Greeley, Colorado. And they, they focus on, you know, pre-revenue companies like ours um, back in the day to, uh, you know, to help refine your message and, and understand the business environment and locate those, those beachhead markets for you to go out and, and find your customer base in. So that was a tremendous experience. Highly recommend them. If you haven't heard of Innisphere, uh, innisphere.org uh, is their website. And uh, and then we also went through the Catalyst Campus Space Accelerator for our Space Data Fusion Accelerator here in Colorado Springs. And we just did that back in January. And that was a that was a huge experience for us. And that's actually the I hate to say it, that's the catalyst we used to go back into the DoD space. Uh, because we got exposed to some, you know, some of the uh, the environment or the the work environment or some of the challenges they have, and and got us really excited to to start looking at that. So, you know, in small companies like ours, I mean, accelerators they're absolutely critical to your growth. You know, both in terms of you know building out your message and then also helping refine your technology. Because typically, guys like us are all over the map. Pardon the pun, uh, a GIS company all over the map. I get it. I don't think Dennis gets it. No. Dennis stopped paying attention like two, two minutes ago. Well, Tim, I don't have any other questions, um, but I do want to give you a chance. Um, you did give the, the, the website, spectrobotics.com. Um, do you want to give uh, – is there any – can people get a hold of you through, through that website, or how, how can people get a hold of you the best way? 
Oh, absolutely. So uh, there's a contact page on the website. It's the uh, emails come directly uh, to me and they all get answered because uh, we're just super excited. And the, and the emails we get are usually uh, people from all over the world, you know, with, with challenges. But, you know, we get them that, that three legged stool I mentioned, you know, with the data collector, the data services and the, and the problem owners or the subject matter experts, we call them. Um, we get calls from both ends, you know, both from people that have a problem to be solved and then people that have a sensor or they've got some sort of collection system that they haven't quite found their audience yet. That's, that's one of, uh, one of our new exciting products we're working on now is working with a commercial hyperspectral sensor company that, you know, builds very small, devices for drones that can do very accurate analysis. So, you know, they realized, hey, we can sell more sensors if we have a data service to go with it. And we realized we can satisfy more problem solvers or subject matter experts out there if we've got direct access to, you know, better sensor technology. You know, that's a win-win-win for everybody when environments like that happen. So, uh, so you know, super excited, love to talk to people about their problems and you know, if we can't solve it, obviously, uh, we probably know somebody who can. So feel free to reach out to us through the website um, or just thaney at spectrobotics.com for my email. Excellent. Well, we, I, I know I thoroughly enjoyed today's conversation. Um, it seems like time flies whenever we're having these. Most people, when we get them on the podcast, they're usually like, man, I don't know if there's any way possible I can talk for, you know, 30 minutes, let alone 45 minutes. Well, I'll tell you that time goes by like you just started. So uh, I, I could go on forever here, but we do want to kind of try to keep it within our, our time realm here. So I want to say thanks for coming on the show. Um, and uh, we do need to book something to where I can come out and see some of this cool stuff too. Um, I'm kind of the tech guy. So uh, I would thoroughly enjoy uh, talking more about this, uh, the tech side of things. I think uh, it's very, very interesting. And uh, with that, that's all I've got. I'm going to give one last chance to Dennis and Chris. Anything from you guys' end? Uh, I've got nothing else. I really appreciate your time today, Tim. That was fantastic. Yeah, thanks, Tim. Okay. Well, Thank with- you, Dennis. Yeah, I appreciate you guys making time for me. This has been tremendous, and uh, I love it. Excellent. So for those uh, listening out there, if you guys have any needs for uh, big data analytics, uh, or anything we talked about today on the show, reach out, call Tim up, and uh, have that conversation. Tim likes to talk with people. Um, like Dennis has said, we've been talking to him for quite a while now. And uh, uh, great team over at Spectrobotics. And uh, with that, till next week, this is Just Nate signing off. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. You've reached the end of another episode of the Smalls Cast Podcast. Connect with us at thesmalls.org. Don't forget to sign up to our newsletter to receive our free materials. See you at the next episode. See you at the next episode.